Well, you know, I find with the Holy Land that just when I think I'm getting to a level of understanding, I realise that I'm not at all. And one thing I am delighted to say is that I'm joined by Archbishop Patrick Kelly, who I do know knows a thing or two about the Holy Land, not that we ever get to that period of full wisdom on the subject. Father, former chair of the Holy Land Coordination, you've been many, many times to many countries in the region. This time round, you were able to take part in a remote Holy Land coordination because we couldn't actually be in the lands of Christ. But nonetheless, I think we learned a lot, got a lot out of it. But you made a really good point in discussions that um, perhaps the focus is on hope, not optimism, because there's not a lot of the latter, is there, at the moment? No. no. I think I've always been aware of that difference. Optimism has a very great danger in it. It tends to suggest Let's go back to the status quo, the good old days. Very dangerous. It blocks creativity. And I'm convinced, and it's in the context of so many issues at the moment, like COVID, there's going to be a new normal. But if we try to rebuild what we had, it will be disastrous. We've got to seize hold of new opportunities. And one gift for me from this year's coordination was the testimony of the young people at the school in Nablus where their whole message was, thanks to COVID-4. Extraordinary. And it was a litany of why they're giving thanks for it, because they've discovered new things. And I feel the same is even true in our own country. We have many problems, obviously. But I've noticed simple things when I'm going for my daily exercise. Many more people say good morning. Many more people give you space. We've got to build on these things. There's potential for creativity. We are going to be in a situation in this country. I'm not going to equate it to the Holy Land and the suffering there as such, but we will have less. We'll have to learn to live with less. Less, I think, can be more. And maybe that's what you're saying with that example. And maybe when we look to Gaza, when we had that discussion about the church punching pretty well above its weight and serving the wider community, maybe less is more and we can learn that, do you think? I think that's why, again, when we heard the description of what they're doing in their schools, they're doing more than we're doing in many ways, more, more success despite everything. And of course, they referred back to when the schools were closed for three years during the Intifada. And they'd learned to what the word they used was blending online and face to face. It was a clearly worked through policy. It wasn't just, well, what can we do with just a simple close down of one? They'd worked through the question in a way they had to because of what they were facing. And then also, when I look to the Holy Land, particularly the Israel-Palestinian reality, it is quite easy to be despondent. And, and one of the bishops actually said, used the word depressed, you know, qualified it with hope, but, but did use the word depressed. And, and I, I thought instantly that's a very strong word. But really, it, it, is, it is bleak, isn't it, in terms of that relationship between those peoples? Very, very bleak indeed, especially in the whole political area. And there are, there are many factors in that. For example, and it's come up in previous years, the irony is there are two weak partners to the conversation. Think of Israel having another general election. Hopefully, though, one little sign of hope, Palestine at long last getting round to a proper election with the West Bank and Gaza, that's a dimmer, but it's gone on for years with no clear people to join in the conversation. So that's a very difficult area. And I'm very concerned. We do not place too much confidence in the change of administration in America. 
as far as I can understand it, one way to see that is the way in which Mr. Trump viewed the whole situation was very largely influenced by the evangelical lobby. But I think the Democratic Party, its concern for those who are suffering and have been persecuted, they're very strongly linked, if you like, to the Jewish story of the Holocaust. So the idea they will simply reverse everything and take one side is very false. We have to leave space and the issues are not going to be simple. Maybe this is an unfair question, but in, in all those years you've been going, obviously the Holy Land coordination carried on, you know, literally feet on the ground, even during the second Palestinian Intifada, which is quite remarkable. But did you think within perhaps your lifetime you'd see a solution to this the two people living in peace or is that just fanciful the only if you like examples i think of in my own lifetime when i first used to go to my father's home in donegal we went through a very hard border i never thought i'd see that change i hope it's still going to be secure with the implications of brexit but i've always been worried there that you're trying to square a circle, there's going to be a border somewhere with tensions. But even so, recently on visits I've found, I've had to ask my cousin, oh, have we crossed the border yet? Not knowing, well, we certainly knew when I first went. The other example, of course, is the Berlin Wall. I think literally days before it came down, none of us thought it could come down, but it did. The speed was extraordinary. Suddenly things began to happen. During the Intifada, and it's one of the factors of why we go, that, that experience, there were very few pilgrims in, the, in Jerusalem then. And I found myself in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I went up to Calvary, there was nobody there. So there was no reason to move on to give somebody else a space. So I've got to stay, and I stayed for a long time, over an hour. And it was marvellous because I found my faith put to the test in this sense. Was I really convinced that here, not on Mount Everest, on a Friday, not on a Monday, at three o'clock in the afternoon, not at sunset or sunrise, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself? That specificity, I've never forgotten it, and now and again I make another silent holy hour, confronting, I think I call it a temptation, the sense of being put to the test. Are you convinced it's the core of our faith, Pope Benedict's lovely phrase in God is love. Being a Christian is not the result of a lofty idea or a moral choice, but the encounter with an event with a person, which gives life a new horizon and so decisive direction. That's Jerusalem for me. And I guess there are parallels with the COVID situation now in that pilgrims aren't in the West Bank, that they're not in those places that Christ walked, yet Christ remains at the heart of our faith. And it's funny, isn't it? Because sometimes when I'm looking at these organisational pilgrimages, let's say, yes, there's prayer, yes, there's mass and celebration with Christ at the centre. But sometimes in the Holy Land, bizarrely, it seems hard to keep Christ at the centre. Do you think that's true? I think it can be. But again, it depends what lens you bring to it. I, I was very blessed that the first time I went was, I think, uh, before the Six Day War. So it was a, a, another world in many ways. My advisor was one of the professors at Guggenheim University in Rome. And he said, when you go, keep your eyes open. And he also said, if you want to read the best book, H.V. Morton in the Steps of the Master. 
ilopurize. Don't be too fussed about exact archaeological stuff. Say, well, he saw those trees, he saw those hills, he saw that water. Just keep on looking, looking, looking. And that helped me in another sense because, and you know, James, I, I've been involved for years with the story of deaf people and life of the church. And I call them the I people. The Holy Land is for I people. Look, look, look. And it's interesting how in the new translation of the New Testament, Nicholas uh, King points out in St. Mark's Gospel, the word behold comes up over and over and again. Again, in that context to do with the resurrection, I found myself with my deaf friends at a conference in Spain about uh, just their life. And it was, it was Easter week. And I thought, how can we sign resurrection? I can do crosses. Then I realized, I went back and looked at the scriptures. Every resurrection account is all about seeing. They saw the stone had been rolled away. Thomas, look here, see my hands. Over and over again. And I think it's a great place for encountering the word which was spoken to the eye. Do you know, I also, that's absolutely beautiful. But I, you've got me thinking. I literally only went on the Holy Land coordination for one year. And sadly, when you weren't there, I'd have appreciated it more if you had. But it's funny, in amongst all the hubbub, and you know how busy it gets and, and how, how so many things push in on you. We went to the Church of the Nativity and I'd finished doing all my work-related things. And actually, our wonderful photographer just put his hand on my shoulder and said, look, come down here. There's a little opportunity. Just just come down here, you know. And whether we get our set squares out and work out exactly where Christ was born and check the historical records, it's amazing how that wasn't important at all. I, 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 you, you'd rightly say, you know, CCC, but I'm also thinking feel, 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 because you know, this is a matter of literally a matter of faith. And I was just I was on my own and, and bless him. The photographer moved back and gave me a little bit of space. I was very overwhelmed, actually. I can't even describe it to you right now, but it was in and amongst all the sort of fuss and organizational things and loads of pilgrims and people. I just had that privilege done wonderful. It felt like literally five minutes with the Lord. That's right. I think, again, one of the things I love in the Holy Land is what I call the places of the hick here. Now this one, hic verbum caro factum est, here the word became flesh. Bethlehem, hic Jesus Christus natus est, here Jesus Christ was born. And Ancarim, John the Baptist, hic Ioannis Baptista natus est. Those, and that's a very big element in the question, whole area, for example, of religious, religious dialogue. I remember a rabbi once saying, the Jews and ourselves We've got the burden of specificity. We're not just a vague cloud of, if one thing a great writer, Alan Lewis, described, and forgive the non-inclusive language, but it's written a long time ago. People are very happy with religion, which is the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. But that which has specifics, and of course, we realize once you have a specific, like the story of the Holy Land, then what matters is every one of us is specific. It's about mercy and gracious that touches lives in their most personal and unique. Yeah. And I, and I think to that, um, when I was reading some, some of the, your notes on, on your reflections of, of the previous days and what you were thinking about, you brought up that the Pope said there are three words for the future, something he said in Brazil. And I was expecting three very profound words. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm excited here. I wonder what these are. Dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. 
And that dialogue in the Holy Land can be over a meal, can't it? Or it can be around political tables. It can be in so many contexts. Again, I found that very moving. I think that was brilliant that you picked up on that. And that is hope, isn't it, for the future? Oh, it is. In commerce, one another way, again, I've often been asked, how would you describe the new evangelization? And I say dialogue. It's all about conversation. I think one of the places I love most in the Holy Land is the well at Samaria. And I, I love the way the, the, our great hymn, the Dies Area, says, Querens me sedisti lassus, searching for me, you sat down tired. Eventually, every one of us has got to have that conversation, perhaps more than once, with a woman at Samaria. It's the key conversation. And on my visits there, it's the only place where on most visits, as soon as they've read the whole chapter, it's a long chapter, Nearly every pilgrim gets out their Bible and reads it again. This is the must place. And you have obviously been going to the Holy Land for many years. You, you've written about it, spoke about it. We're speaking about it now. Um, and again, in that context of perhaps hope, not optimism, how do you look to the future then in the Holy Land? What would you like to see happen? And, and perhaps what do you think on a small scale might be achievable? Curious enough, I think mine's a big one. It links in, and one of the things that struck me, we have to hold on to the present time, and Pope Francis is doing it, and others are doing it. For example, the Economist does it, explaining that COVID has been a huge issue. It is nothing compared with an environmental issue. There's the big one. Now, one of my strange dreams is, and we struggled in this meeting about how do we describe the land, how do we relate it, and I've always remembered the first book I read about the Holy Land was called The Lord's is the Land. There's the challenge. It strikes me that little strip of land is ecologically unique in the world. From Mount Hermon to the Dead Sea and everything in between. It's historically unique. The trade routes, the people have gone through it, politically unique. And then my strange dream is... Could we think of all those for whom it is now home, not saying this is mine, but it's the Lord's? Can we accept responsibility to make sure it really is a land flowing with milk and honey on every sense of that word and be a model for the rest of the world? It's a huge conversion of heart and mind. This isn't mine. And that's the curious thing I say about for us and how we relate to Jerusalem in trying to understand the Jewish understanding of the city and the Muslim understanding it's very different from ours because, strangely, the message given to us, the Jews, was go, don't come back. Go and bear witness to what's happened across the world. It's a quite different relationship, rather hard to describe. None of us has an obligation to go there because I will be with you always to the end of time. And yet, you know, we do look to that day when pilgrims can return to support the local economy, to, you know, buy those olive wood goods, to think about Christ in the lands of his birth, ministry, passion and resurrection. And so I finally just want to ask you, because I could listen to you all day, but how would you focus our prayers on, on the region and its people? What, what can we focus our prayers on at this time, do you think? I think I always find it is so vast and it's a phrase you implied at the beginning, I think, when we were talking, James. I always say, I come back less foolish, not wiser. It's always true. I, I'm left saying, oh, so much I need to ponder. And I find when I want to pray in that context, I've often used the phrase, 
learning to pray through something, not about it. Or again, Carla Hume's phrase, if I think things must change, I must change. Or again, simply realizing it's one of the times and places where we've got to just accept what Paul said, when we do not know how to pray as we should, the Holy Spirit groans within us with sounds too deep for words. We're reduced to silence. And I think I'll finish where we started, which was a very profound point you made about dying in order to discern radicality of, of new life. That is partially the Christian journey, our journey of baptism onwards, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, mean, I give silly examples because why I don't like the idea of status quo, that's resuscitation, not resurrection. That's not what we're about. The, the way I put it, it's got to be done in a, in a ridiculous way. First of all, about the Lord himself. They knew it was him, but they weren't sure. Extraordinary. In other words, he's manifested the Jesus and yet. The way I sum it up is the Jesus they knew could only be encountered in Nazareth or Capernaum or wherever. Now we encounter him everywhere. We are the body of Christ. Now, the only examples I give are really rather silly. My problem, for example, about saying, well, the resurrection is like you plant a daffodil bulb and it comes a daffodil. No. The wonder of it is more like you plant a daffodil and once you let it go, it becomes an amaryllis. It's, it's life in abundance. I'm intrigued by the fact that Pope Francis' latest book is called Dreams. It's to dream beyond the possibilities. I think that, that's the challenge.